Welcome, Tales of Grey listeners. like to welcome you to the big episode 52. like to welcome back my two listeners and my dog. Yeah, some good stuff today. We're still moving along in Exodus 4, and we're talking about spiritual warfare in the Old Testament. we kind of been off to a light start. Gosh, Mike, where's the spiritual warfare at in the Old Testament? We've touched a few topics. It's kind of interesting how Exodus is set up. It starts off light, and it gives us a few pieces of framework and foundations we need to understand. And then it dives right into the spiritual warfare of the occult. So we're slowly moving along. We're slowly picking up pieces here and there of how the angel of Yahweh, who is Jesus, makes his appearance here. And we also see how God instructs us in warfare and what to do when we deal with these high-level um, divine spiritual beings that are evil, namely the, the gods of Egypt. And we'll discuss that here. It is the December 13th of 2022. I'd like to encourage you guys, too, to go check out um, my friend Heidi Mortensen's uh, podcast over on Apple. I just did a thing with her about the um, the bigger story of Christmas. We talked about the, the divine spiritual beings and stuff and how Jesus is preeminent from beginning to end and not just starts in the Christmas story where the prophecies and shows up in Mary. That good stuff. But I know you listeners know better because you guys have been with me long enough that I've kind of beat this in your head where you guys are, are advanced spiritual warfare ministers who understand this. But it is an important concept to get in your head. Everything that Jesus taught us about spiritual warfare is in the Old Testament. It's, it's incredible. And we see these characters showing up again now. If you've been following along my podcast, I talked about how Zach Bagans, they go in these um, places where they have satanic runes in the walls and stuff. And we see the name Dagon. We need the same. We see the name Moloch. Um, these Satanists are summoning these things. And we've seen the um, Egyptians of, of Ra. Uh, and all these, all these characters that show up here in the Bible that Jesus already defeated. I know it's going to probably tick off some of those people out there listening like in the voodoo and stuff. What, Mike, you're being intolerant. <laughs> I get those emails constantly. They're funny. Some come with some nasty uh, mojo on them too that we had to flick off. So um, I have dealt with this stuff. I have dealt with it. I'm not a deliverance minister. I'm a spiritual warfare minister. I deal with the higher level stuff. That's why I went out to Haiti and worked on um, um, doing spiritual uh, liberation years and years ago in 2013 with one of the high level... Um, Witch doctors out there. One of the pastors, Pastor John Johns, called me out some time back, and we dealt with the. He was at that time the highest level witch doctor of Haiti. He's now a Christian. Some incredible story behind that, and maybe sometime later we'll, we'll pull that story up and and go through it here on Tales of Glory because that was an amazing one. How Jesus sat down and read the Bible, <laughs> this witch doctor, in his dreams because he wouldn't read it himself. It was it was a cool story. Anyhow, I digress. So we're talking about the occult and how Jesus showed us in the Book of Exodus how to deal with the occult. We had both Yahweh show up and we had the angel Yahweh show up in this picture. We are now in Exodus 4. Good stuff. Spiritual warfare in the Old Testament. Let's move along. I'm your host, Reverend Mike Norton, the missionary at the microphone. And if you're on YouTube or you're on Rumble or Spotify, you'll see my pedigree up there. You know, I've done all sorts of stuff here. Not look me up. So let's move along here. We have a long episode today. Sorry, guys, this won't be done 35 minutes. Exodus 4 was kind of filled with a lot of nuggets here. Introduction, Exodus 4. So, in Exodus 3, Moses stands in the presence of the angel of Yahweh, right? That's Jesus. From Exodus, God has selected Moses as a Melchizedek king-priest. We see that in Genesis 14, um, verses 18 through 20, who Melchizedek was, right? He was a, a king and a priest. We see that... Uh, what God is trying to set up with Moses is something similar, 
And it kind of goes sideways because Moses, oh, I don't want to do that. I can't talk very well, you know, and just go, I don't want to mock him. But, you know, it kinda, that's what it sounds like reading the verses. God just getting angry at him. Dude, dude, I picked you because I know you can do this. I created you. I know you can do this, but I don't know if I could do it. You know, we do that times with God. That's that's. Moses is like the rest of us when we're called out in ministry. Heck, I've been there too. I'm probably get some playbacks in heaven. Hey, Mike, this is where you sound like Moses. I go, oh, dear God, right? I did sound like him. So we're human. We do stupid things, but God sometimes concedes to our will, right? We get to be in counsel with him. And our ideas are not the ideas God had intended for us. And that's similar to what happened to Moses. So as Moses argued with God, as why he was capable of carrying out these tasks, God had intended Moses to be the Melchizedek, a king and a priest. But as God conceded because Moses didn't want to do it, you know, he got the, the short end of the stick here. So in Exodus 4, Yahweh instructs Moses to get the elders. We saw it back in Exodus 3, right? Tell the elders to you know, show them this, do that, and show them that I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, God of Jacob, right? Get the elders on board with you. And um, I'm going to get their attention by doing some supernatural wonders in front of them. So that's where we're at right now. That was the ending of Exodus 3. Now let's move into Exodus 4. Verse 1. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses ran from it. Quick pause real quick here. We see the staff become a serpent several times in Exodus. And without a spoiler alert here, where he throws the staff down and I think it was Aaron threw the staff down next time. It becomes a snake and the, the sorcerers uh, throw down or, or duplicate the 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 miracle with their sorcery and the staff snake devours the sorcerer's snakes. If you look at Egyptology, when you look at these, these tuts, these kings, these tutums like the pharaohs, all of them have these statues with these hats. And the top of the hats, they have these serpents sticking out. The serpents was a symbol of their deity and of their power. So when God came down, had him throw the staff on the ground, it was, I think it was Aaron, the future tense here, who does that, that miracle. God's staff turns into a serpent and devours the serpents that were conjured. What God is demonstrating is my power is far more significantly more powerful than your mojo you can conjure. And it was taking on the symbol of the deity of the pharaohs. I believe that is why we keep seeing the staff turn into a serpent. And let's move on. Verse 4. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it. And it became a staff in his hand. Cool. So, the, um, so Moses throws down the staff, turns into a snake. So Moses reaches down, picks up the, the snake by the tail, and turns back into the staff, right? Pretty cool stuff here. Cool, cool stuff. That would be kind of freaky, though. I'm not touching that. <laughs> Pick it up, Moses. Discussion notes for Exodus 4, verses 1 through 4. So... Once more, Moses is arguing with Yahweh that he is incapable of the task being given to him. Yahweh instructs Moses to carry out miracles and wonders when he is told to do so. This is how you take on the occult. You see that God didn't say, hey, I want you to bind this. I want you to bind their powers. I want you to shut down everything that's going on in the spirit realms and stuff. 
God goes, no, I'm going to show you how to do this because I'm God and I know these, I know these spirits and how they operate. So when you go in there, just hang in there, I'll wait for my, wait for me to say something. And I'm going to tell you how to fight these things and just do as you're told and you'll get through this. That's how you deal with the occult. We become impatient. We start settling back on our own pride. And then we start binding stuff and praying stuff and going to war and warring. If you're doing that stuff and you're exasperating yourself in warfare, you're working too hard. I mean, after all, you have to deal with the whole sorts of the chattering of the demonic coming against you during the, these mind battles. You don't need to also exasperate yourself in the warfare portion because God's going to fight the battle for you. So this is a cult battle 101 right here. Yahweh is going to fight for you. No binding or rituals. Don't do those. Just like he did here. Yahweh instructs Moses to carry out the miracles. He's going to tell him what to do because God knows how to take these things down. So let's go on to verse 5. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, Put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put it back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. So God's going to give them some other ones, right? Hey, your hand was leprous. You put it back in your cloak, came back. You know, how'd you do that? God's doing it, not me. So God's going to be in charge of the wonders and signs and the miracles during warfare. Keep that in mind. I want to beat this into your head because this is how you deal with the high-level stuff. Verse 9. If they not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, here he goes, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. See, it's God's going, hey, I'm going to do this miracle where you're going to take the water out of the Nile, throw it on the dirt, and it's going to turn to blood. And Moses is like, no, I can't do this. You know, that's that's us. We constantly do that. Well, God tells, hey, I want you to do this. No, I can't do that, God. Right? I mean, I've been there too. I've totally been there. So I'm laughing at it and mocking it. It's not just Moses. This is how man operates. God's going to do some incredible miracles, and we're the hindrance. We're the hindrance to the miracles. Verse 11, Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Important stuff there. God will tell you what to say. In the midst of dark warfare, God will tell you what to speak. I've had this before too. The Holy Spirit told me what to say. And you're just sitting there flabbergasted. What on earth is that in front of me? You know? So here we go. Verse 13, but he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Here we go again. He's arguing with God. Let's discussion notes here. Exodus 4, verses 9 through 13. So we look at verse 10. Moses continues to argue with his creator that he's incapable of representing and he is ill-equipped. Right? I can't do this. Send somebody else. I'm, I'm poor at speech. So verse 11 through 12. Yahweh is becoming irritated with Moses can't this Moses can't do attitude, right? I can't do it. Are you a can do or a can't do? I'm a can't do. 
So Yahweh instructs Moses to just go, and God will put the words in his mouth. So verse 14, we see that Moses requests that Yahweh send somebody else, right? Oh my gosh. Verse 14, Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad to he- in his heart. So discussion notes, Exodus 4.14. Yahweh concedes from his Melchizedek king-priest anointing on Moses. Remember, God wanted Moses to be both king and priest in a situation. He was going to give him the whole keys to the whole shop there, right? He's going to turn it over to him. But you know, Moses becomes a king-like leader in this one because God's conceding to his will, and Aaron's appointed to be the priest now, so it's divided. So this is how God concedes, right? Where we're, we can counsel and be in counsel with God and talk with him and change his mind on things. Even though God knew it was best, he tends to fall towards our free will and what we want to. We're able to work things out with him. This is this is uh, an example of it. You know, Moses had it all. Moses was going to be king and priest. But because of having him con- God concede to his will, Moses becomes a king-like leader and now is the priestly parts divided over and appointed to Aaron. Because of this concession, Moses will never be allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies. Only a priest can enter, and that's Aaron. So Moses shot himself in the foot in that part. So concession shows that God will negotiate us despite our poor decision-making. He does this. He'll, he'll, you know, he works with us. We're family, right? It's like a father and son you know, work together. Like, okay, well, I understand that. Well, if you don't want this, okay, right? So God offered it to him. God offered him everything. I don't know why he didn't see it or maybe it freaked him out. Who knows? It's the whole human side. We don't know what Moses was processing. Verse 15, you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. So God's going to speak for both Moses and Aaron and instruct them on how to do this when they go approach Pharaoh. So notes on Exodus 4.15. Again, this is spiritual warfare against the occult 101. During warfare, Jesus will put the words in your mouths and teach you what to do. I want to kind of build you up on this on some experiences that I had in spiritual warfare. This one came from an exorcism I was involved in. And it was kind of interesting. Again, I shared this before. This is about the young man that was involved in the, um, the gangs in the Santa Muerta. And he was highly possessed. I know he, he did sacrifice to people. I know other stuff happened. And it just, he had some nasty demons in him. And when he came to my office, we couldn't get him to my office because he, the demons know the office was prayed up. Once we got him in there, I had him sit down and he full on manifested right away at me, you know, and these things were flying out trying to attack me. And what was amazing was I'm sitting there looking at this guy, you know, I wasn't freaked out. It's like, I've seen this stuff before. But like you're sitting there waiting for the Holy Spirit to come and do something like, okay, what's going on here? And immediately out of my mouth comes, you know, yell louder. Your your God doesn't hear you, right? It's coming out of 1 Kings 18, right? With um, Elijah, the same thing, you know, about the part about, you know, put the put the, put the the tree on fire. You know, God did it, but the, the prophets of Baal couldn't do it. So there was, had to be something about dealing with prophets of Baal or something in this guy where he's telling, you know, yell louder, your God can't hear you. And I think it was because the Holy Spirit locked down the room. 
and he couldn't get out. The guy's eyes started rolling in the back of his head. And he started shaking like crazy, and it was these demons were freaking out. And I tell you, these were nasty demons. I they, they were involved in um, beating people, literally senseless. They were very violent. But you know, I didn't have a hand laid on me. I want you to get that that through your head. That once you start moving in this stuff, the Holy Spirit protects you. And then you know, and there was some. Demons are murdering this guy too. I knew he did sacrifices of people or something because he's got this sense that he did that to get this level of power. And but the demons can't do anything. They were, you know, it's like that. So just like I'm trying to tell you guys, Jesus will put the words in your mouth. The Holy Spirit put the words in your mouth. You know, yell louder. Your God can't hear you. And I'm sitting here going, Oh my God! You know, where'd that come from? It's just amazing. It you when you get used to it and relax to it. Let God fight the fight for you. Like so I got out of there unscathed. Nothing happened. But you know. It is what it is. It's just, that's what I'm trying to teach you guys. When you buy the occult, it's nothing like the garbage you see in all these YouTube videos, right? It's it's not like that. I'm buying this, I'm buying that. You know, come out, come out and do your Bob Larson's. Everybody's doing their Bob Larson's now. And I don't want to knock Bob Larson because he got us all started in some of this stuff. But if you're in a battle, the demons, evil bring chaos. Holy Spirit brings order. Keep that in mind. So if you're patiently waiting on the Lord while this whole show is going off, you can care less, right? It's going off and the Holy Spirit comes and he'll do something and lock it down. Because the person on the other side of the fence has free will. And if they don't want help, they don't want help. It is what it is. So this is what I want to get you in your minds right now. When we're battling a cult, you wait upon the Lord and you listen for him. And he will tell you, instruct you on how to deal with it. He'll tell you to throw the staff down. He'll tell you to raise your hand. He'll tell you to start, you know, immediately it's like, hey, call, you know, call louder. God can't hear you. You know, that sort of stuff too. Go in the Bible. They know it. These guys know it. Little stinkers and uh, demonic things. They, they know the Bible. They know their doom. So go to verse 16. He shall speak for you to the people and he shall go by your mouth and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff, which you shall do the signs. Cool. Yep, he's dealing with the occult. Kind of. I'm not going to say the name of the guy right now because I kind of like this is kind of goofy, but I know it's something spiritual going on. This dude, there's a dude that dresses up like a prophet and has his staff, you know, and he's 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 so popular. A lot of people they can't see through it. There's a lying spirit there, or he's putting on a show. But the fact that he has a staff for warfare, <laughs> I was laughing too. It's like, okay, God didn't tell you to pick up the staff. This was something specifically for Moses, right? But they had the whole, you know, he has the whole prop, the long hair, everything. Some of you may know who I'm talking about, but I'm not going to go into it because um, if you have discernment, you can see this guy's just uh, lying spirits in him. But it reminds me, like, I see the staff. I just kind of laugh. Like, oh my God, so you think you're Moses, huh? You throw down the staff. It's just. It gets it's for show. It's like deliverance people put on their Vegas show. A lot of prophetic people put on their Vegas show, right? And you just have to discern who's real and who's not. Unfortunately, a lot of fake it till you make it. So a lot of Vegas um, sideshows make it to the top, and people glean off it. Oh, look at that! You know, he looks just like Moses, or he looks like a prophet with the long hair. You know, and I call them CNN prophets. They reiterate everything you see off of CNN. Like that's not prophecy. That's just rehashing the news and trying to put a Christian twist on it for prophecy. Anyhow. That's where I'm going with that. You guys probably know who I'm talking about. Yeah, so I'll leave it at that. So verse 18, Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, remember Jethro was a Levite, I believe, from the family of Levite? Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, 
Go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt, as Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt and see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Okay, this is interesting right here. So we're talking about Pharaoh. Pharaoh's heart's going to be hardened. I made an error I need to correct from my Exodus 3 episode. I said it, Pharaoh thought he was the god Ra. That's inaccurate. I had to go look at my deities. Pharaohs believed they were the god Horus, H-O-R-A-C-E. And that was a deity that many of these pharaohs believed they were. So Pharaoh's heart was hardened against Yahweh because Pharaoh thought he was a god of creation, Horus. And he's not. And he was about, that's why his heart was hardened, okay? It wasn't so much God did it. God was just like, you know, God knew he was going to get worse and worse when Yahweh had far more power and can just wipe out any of the miracles that Horus, the Pharaoh, or any of his sorcerers can conjure. And that just made him more angry. So, you know, God was patient with him. God gave Pharaoh 10 chances to let the people go, right? That's some patience right there. If you want to look at it that way, he got 10 opportunities um, to let the people go. And Pharaoh didn't because Pharaoh was the god of Horus and to literally had his entire, you know, civilization ripped out beneath his feet for his people. So verse 22. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely, you are a bridegroom of blood to me. Okay, let's stop here and discuss this. There's a lot of stuff here. So we're looking at Exodus 4, 23 through 24. In verse 23, Yahweh reveals that if Pharaoh refuses to let his people go, he will wipe out Egypt's firstborn sons. We know this, right? He does that eventually with the Passover. So verse 24. Yahweh becomes angry at Moses and threatens to kill him. Why was he angry? I mean, if he wasn't already angry before, this is a different reason. What's happening here? Yahweh is angry because Moses' son Grisham and Moses are not circumcised. So in verse 25, Moses' wife Zipporah steps up and carries out the acts of a Levite priest and performs a circumcision on her son Gershom. That's what I always thought was interesting, that Zipporah did the ritual or the circumcision acting as a Levite priest in proxy, and Zipporah appeases Yahweh's anger. This is interesting, right? Here we have, without getting too beat up, read through the lines, Zipporah, a woman, acted as a Levite priest. And it's right there for some of you guys that ever need the evidence, right? <laughs> go argue as the Baptist always, no, I won't go to any place with a woman pastor. I even saw, I think I saw John MacArthur say it like, whoa, wow, what? Yep. 
You know, if they're if they're women of God, we saw it in the book of Acts all over the place, right? Paul. But you know, they they're blessing and filling with the spirit a lot of these women who were becoming pastors in the book of Acts. It's there. And I think this is a very cool Old Testament one that God accepted Zipporah and her actions of invoking the actions of Levite priest during circumcision. It's right there. So interesting tidbit, little nugget. So back to verse 25. Was Yahweh's anger directed at the fact that Moses' son Gershom wasn't circumcised? Hmm. From the Journal of Study of the Old Testament, volume 35.1, 2010, in an article titled, The Firstborn Son of Moses and the Relative of Blood in Exodus 4.24-26, by Adam J. Howell, page 67. Let's take a look at what this says. The narrative structure of Exodus 4.24-26 follows from 4. 21 through 23, and therefore these stories were apparently related in the author's mind. One can quickly see that these passages are related along the theme of the firstborn son. Yahweh has just informed the upcoming tenth plague that will destroy the firstborn of Egypt, while Yahweh protects his firstborn Israel. Subsequently, Yahweh attacks a seemingly innocent male. So what's going on there? So Gershom had to be circumcised because he probably wasn't. And so if they were going back to Egypt, you know, God's going, hey, he needs to be circumcised. Well, he might be wiped out too, right? It's a sign of my covenant, a sign of being in my family. And those who don't have the sign will be, you know, killed during the 10th plague. So fascinating things. That's one possibility, right? We don't know, but I'm just reading some of these dissertations to you to help you guys put pieces together. Verse 26. So he let him alone it was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Then the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him with the mountain of God and kissed him. So we end up with a bridegroom of blood with the circumcision acts being over. And then Aaron going into the wilderness to meet Moses. Let's unpack some more stuff here. So from verse 25, a bridegroom of blood. Then Zipporah took a flint and took off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. What's that? From a book titled Bodily Integrity and the Politics of Circumcision. <laughs> I actually have a title of that. Chapter 3, Zipporah and the Bridegroom of Blood. The author is Nancy S. Glick. See what they have to say. Thus Zipporah is confident that Yahweh, whatever the cause of his anger, will respond favorably to her son of Moses' son, Picking up the threshold flint knife, she performs a simple amputation of her tip of her son's foreskin. Then she turns away from the boy. Her role has ended. He has been circumcised for his father's sake, but the sacrifice is not yet complete. Zipporah must now display the sacrificial blood where Yahweh will see it. So what does she do so Yahweh could see it? She touches Moses' feet. Does she put it at his feet? What does feet mean? You know, why, why the feet? So let's look at this. Feet is a Hebrew idiom for genitals. Well, we, we've covered idioms before, right? And so when we read Hebrew and read this, we have to understand the idioms. So we've seen it before where, I can't remember which one it was, um, back in Genesis, where, uh, oh God, not Rebecca. It was one where he went to see, when they went to see her feet or it was talking about her genitals, right? And we've seen that before, uh, so it's not nothing new. It couple several times in in the in um, the Bible here, in the Old Testament. 
So did Zipporah take Gershom's foreskin, touch Moses' gentles in proxy because Moses wasn't properly circumcised? Remember, Moses was an Egyptian. Egyptians practiced a form of circumcision, but it wasn't similar to what the Hebrews were doing for the covenant. So Moses may have thought he was circumcised because, hey, you know, I had this Egyptian one. Does that count? <laughs> right? So no, it didn't. So one of the things we need to look at too, what does a bridegroom of blood mean? Because we have another idiom here, and it's referencing the blood on a male on the wedding night after knowing his virgin wife. I don't want to get any more <laughs> details on that or any more graphic. Do you get that? So a bridegroom of blood is another idiom referencing the blood on a male after knowing his virgin wife. So if you've been to the podcast before, you know what it means for a man to know his wife. It's intimacy. It's intercourse. So we'll leave it there at that. So the foreskin went and touched from Gershom, kind of weird, went and touched Moses' genitals. And this may have been a circumcision in proxy because Moses had to take off from the people of Midian back to Egypt, right? He wouldn't be able to walk, right? See him in the desert. Uh, 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 oh, slow down. Uh, oh, riding a donkey. Oh, that hurts. Oh, that hurts. Right? So I'm, I'm being kind of facetious here, being kind of funny. But I think they had to do it in proxy to send him back right away. And Yahweh accepted that sacrifice, both from the fact that it was done by a, 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 a Zipporah, who has a Levite bloodline, and she, she executed the, uh, the circumcisions and the proxy to protect her husband, Moses. So she was pretty swift here. She knew her stuff. You know, must, these guys must have knew their Levite training because she knew what to do. She just, she was on it. Way to go, Zipporah. So verse 28, And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord which, which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had been commanded to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. Right on. See that right there? So they believed, you know, this has to be Yahweh. This has to be him. This is not sorcery. It's not rituals. We didn't conjure anything. Um, Aaron or Moses said whatever they were supposed to say. Most like it was Aaron because he was given the Levite um, dutyship and headship here, and the miracles were performed. And the elders, well, whoa, okay, we, we, we believe you. We've seen enough. This is true. You did speak with Yahweh, and he is moving through you. So they believed, and when they heard the Lord had visited the people of Israel, and they had been seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and they worshipped. Right on. So we've come to the end of Exodus 4, closing thoughts. The walkaways for battling the occult in Exodus 4. Wait for Jesus to tell you how to fight. He's going to tell you. He's going to put the words in your mouth. He's going to tell you what to do. You don't need your little deliverance books on rooting demons. Like I said, you know me. If you got a rooting demons book, get rid of it. You don't need it. In fact, it causes more danger. If you read my book, Cosmology and Demonology in Genesis 1 through 11, you'll understand why rooting demons and rooting principalities is a bad idea. Right? Get rid of that book. It's not good. Unfortunately, it wasn't researched. Somebody just rattled off the top of their head and 
you know, there's a lot of deliverance ministries out there just copy each other's stuff and they haven't researched anything. They haven't gone back to dissertations. They haven't gone back to what the Hebrews believed. And the train's going off in a different direction, probably running off a cliff. So this is what we're trying to do here, trying to bring correction to some of this stuff. So we saw that Jesus permitted Zipporah to perform Levite priestly duties. He allowed a woman to do it. Mm-hmm. There it is right there, ladies. There it is. And he was satisfied with her actions. And we learned a few idioms along the way. What's a bridegroom of blood and what are the feet, right? So interesting stuff along here, guys. So I want to keep moving along. We're going to start getting to more occult battles, what's going on here, but we're building up. The message we keep getting here is to wait on the Holy Spirit, wait for Jesus, wait wait for them to tell you what to do. And they'll put the words in your mouth on how to deal with the occult. And we're going to see how it works and effective. I've been through some of this stuff. I do. You do know. Some of this stuff is so off the scale, you don't know what to say. You have to listen on God. And then God will say something crazy. Maybe God might do something that mocks him. You're sitting here kind of laughing like, oh, my God, I can't believe Jesus did, did that. But, you know, he'll do it. You know? Remember, in, in, in Colossians 2.14 or 2.15, he put the he put the principalities in chains and, and dragged them through the streets. I mean, mockery of them, right? So it's whatever Jesus wants to do, but he's going to do it, not us. Not us. I've seen much, so much crazy stuff in battles doing ritual abuse um, counseling. It's been crazy, but, you know, Jesus will just do amazing stuff, be super gentle about it, or, you know, he'll be the line of Judah, however he wants to handle this stuff. So I want you guys to start learning this, that we have to rely on Jesus. As we're in the end times church dealing with the occult and dealing with very high-level stuff like Dagon, you know, and those things showing up, Moloch, you know, Asherah, all these things are showing up now. They're starting to show up again. People are bringing them in. We have to know how to deal with them. And all of these things bowed down to Jesus in the Bible and were conquered by him. That's the walk away. I was going to have a spiritual exercise for you guys, but I think since we went a little bit longer, I wasn't going to have one this time around. So, you know, just go back and read some of the stuff like what Zipra does and, you know, prove it to yourself. I'll go read some of these dissertations I'm going to put on the show notes. And just prove to yourself this, this is what's going on here and this is the truth. Good stuff. Exodus is some good stuff. In closing, let's see. Be sure to like us on your podcast. You're listening on Apple Podcasts, like us. I notice we're getting a lot, lot more traffic from Apple Podcasts than anything else, which is kind of cool, so thank you. And if you want to help bless the ministry so I can produce more content, I would love it. We're getting nailed right now. We have no money in the coffers, but that's okay. Since I'm producing, it's all right, but I... I'd love to get the financial help. So it just covers me for the time I do the research, right? Because I saw to keep the lights on here in the M16 bunker and keep the wife happy. So if you want to make a donation to us, you can go to PayPal and go to m16ministries at gmail.com and make a donation there. We would love you for it, especially right now. Um, we have some books out there, A Field Guide to Spiritual Warfare. If you're in a haunting or dealing with demonic activity, that's the book to get. I mean, it's... I wrote that in 2010. I just got an email from Nigeria. Like some guy got a hold of the book. It was, I got a hold of your book. It's great. And it's t- teaching me about deliverance. Like it's, it's, it's cool. It's one of the coolest books out there. And it's just, it was just inspirational to write because nothing, like I said, made sense what the deliverance ministers were doing. And if you want a, a field guide on how to deal with this stuff, there's no methodology, but that book will help you. A field guide, spiritual warfare. There's the advanced field guide, which starts talking about how to deal with the occult and ritual abuse. Good stuff there and exorcism. And my latest book, Cosmology and Demonology in Genesis 1 through 11. If you're, like I say, if you're serious about spiritual warfare, pick up that last book. 
because it's going to tell you about what principalities are and what demons are and all this stuff. And it just, it just hammers it out in a way it's going to, oh my gosh, this makes sense. Light bulb goes on. All this material is available on my website, www.afg2sw.com. Or you can go to a field guide, spiritualwarfare.blogspot.com, which hosts this podcast. Right on, right on, right on. Good stuff, guys. Good stuff. Remember, go out and be a blessing and make good choices. God bless you guys. I love you. Until next time, amen. And we're signing out.